0: For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Chandler Bolt here and joining me today is Pat Flynn. Now, Pat Flynn is the creator of the Smart Passive Income blog and the Smart Passive Income podcast. And he's really the uh, what I consider the OG of the internet, right? He's, he's been around for a while and he's one of those people where if you ask a lot of people, how'd you get your start or how did you... Hear about this whole online online world? They'll say Pat Flynn. They'll say Smart Passive Income Podcast. So I'm excited to chat with him today. He's the author of the book Let Go, and also the Wall Street Journal bestseller Will It Fly? So that's his most recent book. And you might remember, (laughs) yes, as it hovers into the picture. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. So you might remember he was on here uh, last time. We've had him on here before, and we were chatting kind of – it was pre-Will It Fly, right? We were kind of just chatting about all things that book, and now he's on the other side of that launch, and it was a huge success. So figure we'd bring him back to just take us through that and exactly what he did. So I'm super excited for this one. Pat, welcome.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me here, Chandler. Just, and again, kudos to you for all you're doing to put all this great information together. I think anybody who's watching – Uh, not just this video right now, but all the other ones you put out is that they're definitely ahead of everybody else in this world who really want to make stuff happen for them. So congrats to you for making change in this way.
0: Awesome, man. I really appreciate that. Now, I want to kind of kick it off by taking us back to why did you decide to write Will It Fly and what was the purpose behind that book?
1: Well, I always knew that I wanted to write a second book. You know, Lego was my first book. It was just an ebook. It was actually launched on another platform called Snippet, which didn't really take off like I wanted it to. So I always knew I wanted to kind of try again and go big, and I really wanted this to be like the the big first uh, business-related book that I would be sort of known for in the authorship space. Um, The other one was just more of an account of how I got laid off from the architecture world and then became an entrepreneur, more of a bio. This one is like, okay, here's stuff in my brain that I want to teach you and the big thing was like, well, what am I going to talk about? I have a lot of things that I could talk about. There were a lot of topics such as monetization, affiliate marketing, building raving fans. And all. I mean, honestly, I had created a whole list of about 50 different things I could write about. But then I decided, well, you know, it's not about what I want to write about it, it's what's going to help most people. And uh, so I actually went to a few places to discover what those things were. I listened really closely to my audience whenever they asked me questions. And I did that in a couple of ways. First, I did a survey to my audience and I asked them what they were struggling with. And I discovered that the number one problem that they had, these are for people who are just starting out was deciding what business idea to start. And just the fact that they didn't know what, what, what was going to work or what wasn't going to work stopped them from actually trying because they'd rather kind of just wonder than try and potentially fail on something or waste a lot of time and money in something that wasn't going to work out. I also got validation for that in another way. So I have a podcast called Ask Pat. And on that podcast, I, ask, or I ask, actually ask my audience to send me voicemail questions. Uh, and I answer them five days a week on the show. So a cool thing about that is I get to publish a new podcast, I get sponsors, You know, I monetize that way, but I also get to hear from my audience what they need the most help with. But in addition to that, my assistant keeps a spreadsheet of all the questions. We've had over 2,500 come in since the show started a couple of years ago. And by far, again, the number one question that people asked was, how do I know if this idea I have is going to work. Or people who have already started, they say, how do I know if I should keep going? Because I'm not seeing results yet. So that's the big question. And the final way that I validated this was actually to use some of the tactics that I was going to put in the book and put it to the test to actually see if this was something that people were interested in, not just say that they were interested in, but actually stay with their pocketbooks or their money. Uh, and so I actually asked randomly 10 people in my audience who were on my email list I told them about this book idea and I said, hey, if you're really interested in this, I'm actually validating this. I am looking for people to pay $10 just to tell me and vote that this is actually a topic that you want me to write about. And I had all 10 people PayPal me $10 each. And so I made a hundred bucks, which isn't the, the, the big thing there. The big thing there was that, people were willing to pay money for this kind of information. And that's how I knew. Of course, those people got uh, access to the book early and, and special treatment for me and stuff. But uh, that's how I knew this was a topic that was going to be really helpful. And digging deeper into the reasons behind this, you know, there's a lot of fear involved with starting a business. And you know, the unknowns are really what scares people. And I think that became the basis for this book. How do we know if this thing that we're going to launch is actually going to fly? Because there's a lot of great businesses out there or great books about finding your business idea. And those are fantastic because you need to have a great idea, right? But then there's a lot of great books out there on how to build your empire and how to expand, how to scale, how to grow. But there was nothing in between. Well, how do you know if that idea is actually going to be able to scale and grow and be successful? So that's what I wanted to tackle in this book. You know, I actually wasn't the first one to talk about this. Uh, Tim Ferriss talked about it in his book, The 4-Hour Workweek, in a section called Testing the Muse. If you've read this book, you might remember this. He talked about this sort of hypothetical validation experiment where you could buy AdSense ads, AdSense are ads that Google throws up. And you could actually pay to drive cold traffic to a landing page where you could sell an item and you could see how many people are interested in it before you create it by making it seem like that item actually existed and keeping track of how many people clicked on the buy now button. Uh, And that was pretty cool. It was like the first time anybody's ever talked about that. And this was again back in 2007, but nobody really since then has published about it. And that Method is sort of archaic now. there's methods that are more honest, more upfront, and will give you more information uh, to give you the right direction on on where to go. and that's what I really wanted to talk about and tackle in this book.
0: Love it, and I love that you use the stuff that you teach in the book for the creation of the book. Crazy concept right? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a great story. I mean it, it's crazy, but it's something everybody should do, i think if if they're you know you got to walk the walk as much as you talk to talk.
0: hundred percent agree now one of the pivotal decisions that you made up front was to self-publish this book. And a lot of people, they look at it from the outside and they question it. They're like, Pat, you got a huge audience. You can get a huge advance. You know, you can shop this thing around in New York. You could get a big time publishing deal, you know, puff out the chest, all those things. Right. right. <laughs> what, what, why did you decide to go the self-publishing route and what went into that decision?
1: Well, I do want to write a New York times bestseller. I do want to go traditionally published, but I question the fact of whether or not it should be done with this book. And then when I consider what the primary purpose of this book is, and that is to really take control of the experience that people have with my brand, uh, that made me decide to go self-publish because I've heard and i talked to a lot of people, I've done a lot of research. A lot of times when you're working with traditional publishers, they will tell you what to put in this book. And I didn't want anybody to tell me anything about what I should do here, because I know exactly how I can help my audience the best. And I wanted to really control also what happens after people read the book. So we can get into this maybe later, but in terms of collecting email addresses and the experience that people have after the book, and then, you know, the courses and everything that's going to be happening down the road here, uh, that all I I wanted this first book this sort of very foundational book that is going to be an introduction from, uh, you know, to, to a lot of new people for me. Um, I really wanted to keep control and put everything I can into it without having anybody else tell me what to do. I also wanted to use it as an experiment to see, well, how big can we really go? I knew I had this large audience. Yes, I could go traditional and be successful that way. But how successful could I become as a self-published author? And, you know, a lot of people who have this kind of audience, they – if they write books, they don't do it on Amazon. They sell them through their own sites because they can make a lot more money that way, you know. And I can create three different tier packages and charge, you know, upwards of ninety nine dollars or more for this kind of content. But again, this was a very introductory thing that I wanted to share with my audience and people who were brand new to me. Something that I want to be very low barrier, low, not overwhelming, but also a way to. Um, take advantage of Amazon and the algorithms that are there and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I knew that if I wanted to write a traditional book in the future that, you know, self-publishing could help me do that even better, get an even bigger advance and see what, and we could see what happens from there. And, you know, the experiment went really well. I launched it and and went really big with it. It uh, sold tens of thousands of copies. And to my surprise, as a self-published author, it also became a Wall Street Journal bestseller, which I didn't even know was possible, uh, which I was super stoked about and uh, very proud about, actually. And I think that inspires and continues to inspire a lot of people who are writing books because uh, a lot of people don't have access to, tradi- to to traditional publishers. And I think those lines are being blurred and they're crossing over each other now where it's not even, uh, you know, I, I eventually think it's going to get to a point where it's, you know, not even an issue anymore. But obviously it's a big issue for a lot of people, which is why you brought this question up. And hopefully I've, I've been able to shed light on why I, t- I chose to go this route.
0: 100% and love it. I mean, we, we chatted about this at lunch Chico oh, yeah, a few months yeah. back. I mean, it's like one of those things where when you have someone flying the flag like you were self-publishing, and then not only that, but you made it on the list. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a, such a huge accomplishment. I'm so, so proud and so, so stoked. And it's it. in Barnes & Noble now, which is,
1: which is awesome. Uh, not on the bookshelves yet because we're currently in the middle of an experiment, uh, but it can be purchased at Barnes & Noble, which was another thing a lot of people thought wasn't possible if you have a self-published book. But I was able to get my own book. I was able to purchase it through the customer service stand at Barnes & Noble and hundreds of other people have done the same thing. And by gathering my audience to try and do this all in a short period of time, we're going to see if Barnes & Noble actually reacts to this and actually puts it on the shelves. And I have come across several other authors who are self-published who are in the shelves of Barnes & Noble too. So I know it's possible. We're just trying to make some noise out there. I mean, that's Kind of the cool thing about what I do, you know, I have this amazing platform, this great community where we can do fun things like this and see what happens. And so I don't yet know what's going to happen because that just happened and it's still in the middle of the month. So I don't know if and when they're going to reach out. But if not, I'm going to poke the bear a little bit and reach out to them and see if I can actually uh, discover what it would take. Um, if it doesn't. So uh, that's where we're at now. But yeah, it's really cool. I think, you know, I'm owning the fact that I self-published it and I wanted to be that person to wave that flag and just show everybody else what's possible.
0: Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right. So if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement. Disruption, I love it, and I, I love what you're doing there that's so great so Thanks. take us take us through kind of the the process and I obviously I want to get into the marketing and the back end and all that stuff, but let's touch for a little bit on kind of the process of writing and publishing your book and especially what was that like going the self published route and kind of take us through how you did that
1: yeah I mean the cool thing about self publishing is you get to decide your own timelines and all that stuff but the cool the, the bad thing about it is you get to decide your own timelines, meaning that it's very easy to just push things aside, say, I'll do it later, because you don't have anybody else sort of on top of you trying to nail down those deadlines for you. Um, So what I actually ended up doing, I'm fast forwarding here a little bit, but I actually ended up hiring an accountability coach to help me push forward. Because a lot of times, especially when I came to those tough moments in the writing of the book, uh, and it was definitely not easy, um, I just would get distracted with other things or put it aside and feel like I was making progress on other pieces of work that I That weren't necessarily related to the book um so it was a struggle for me so that accountability coach that's when really things started to take off but before that the way i started this you know after coming up with the idea i brainstormed i did a mind map and there's my whole office here was just covered in post-it notes and then i started to organize them and so i had the pieces and parts of the book that i wanted at least for an initial first draft and then what i did because i knew that the first draft is sort of just kind of should be kind of messy Um, is I actually dictated what was going to be in each different section. So what what I eventually did was I picked up a post-it note with a certain thought or idea or part in it, and I just recorded myself using an app called Rev. So this was an app on my iPhone. I think they have one for Android too. It's called Rev, R-E-V. And it's just a voice recorder, so I was recording my voice. But what's cool about Rev is you can push a button after you record, and a human being on the other end will transcribe it and send it back to you in written form and so after I did that that took a number of uh, uh, days even a couple weeks I think to get completely through it after that I had over 100,000 words that was dictated of all these different parts and pieces of the book and that was cool that that actually didn't take that long and it was kind of my natural way of getting content out I'm a podcaster so I'm just used to speaking I actually kept track of how many words I was producing per minute and I tried to write that's actually why I did it this way because when I was writing it was I felt it was very slow and it was going to take me forever. So I decided to go this route. So I was tracking about 25 to 45 words per minute when writing with my keyboard. Uh, and then I was tracking between 200 and 400 words per minute when dictating. Uh, so it definitely wow. saved me a lot of time. Now, the big challenge was going from the first draft to what I call draft 1.5, which is the draft, a written draft that would sound like a book, not Sound like how I spoke because how I spoke is different. But the great thing about what I did was I got the ideas out and I didn't have anything stopping me. When I was writing, I found that I was always deleting things that weren't great. Well, when you're dictating, you just say whatever. And yeah, a lot of that stuff isn't going to be great. And in fact, when I looked through the whole quote manuscript of that first draft, about 10% is all I kept, which might not sound like a lot. So over 100,000 words, kept a little over 10,000 it's not very much. And so was it even worth it? Yes, absolutely. Because those 10,000 words that I did keep were absolute gold. Those are things that stood out through all of that, that I kept and continued to stay in the book. And uh, so that was key. It got, it got those really, really good stories out that maybe not have would have come if I had just done the text version. So after pulling out those 10,000 words, the big challenge was draft 1.5, which is going to be my first written draft. And using that as a sort of the backbone, I was able to do that. Um, in about six months. So it took a very long time. And it was during that process that I actually had to hire Azul, who became my accountability coach, and who um, really got to know this project really well and kind of become that voice of reason for me and that person on my shoulder who was telling me to, to, to do it when I didn't want to or telling me when my deadlines were. And actually, he was really good because he would text me every once in a while just randomly and encourage me and keep me going. And that's the kind of stuff that i need to be encouraged and i think for any author out there who's trying to write a book you have to know how you are best encouraged what works for me might not work for you but how do you get motivated to work make sure to incorporate that into whatever you do so if you don't know what that is then you're gonna have a problem so think about that you can pause this right now how do you guess best be motivated some people need a drill sergeant on their butts all the time, like, you can do it, like, you didn't meet just today, you're going to have to do, like, a thousand push-ups, like, some people need that, I don't respond well to that kind of feedback, but I respond well when I know there's a deadline, and I know that there's somebody who cares on the other end, who I might potentially let down, who can encourage me along the way, that's what encourages me, so that's what I put into place, and it definitely worked out, so after that uh, first draft, or 1.5, was done, uh, then it was just going a second time through, cleaning things up, uh, sharing it with a number of people, people in my team, other people who were in my audience just to get initial feedback because I wanted to hear what they thought so that my next go-around, I could incorporate those changes. And I think a lot of authors also make that mistake where they feel like, they're just going to go and then do it all themselves, maybe use an editor, maybe, you know, and I think obviously everybody would, uh, but then not really sharing it with their audience until the big launch day. And so what I did was I actually, even before we had an official launch team, I had a number of people in my audience who had read the book and gave some advice on the manuscript, um, which was, which was fantastic. Then of course we got hooked up with a Content editor, so somebody to help me figure out. Okay, is the order of this correct? Is the flow right? Are pieces missing? And that person was really, really helpful because they, and that, it, you know, it's not grammar and it's not spelling. It's does the concepts work? Are there any holes that are missing? And I actually filled in a lot of holes that were missing, took out a lot of stuff that was sort of superfluous, not not necessary, and it really helped tie the whole book together. And I think that's that's really when I got the confidence that this was actually a book that was actually going to help a lot of people after those holes holes were filled then of course we hooked up with an editor actually two different editors and it was good that we did that because one editor definitely didn't catch everything and the other one didn't catch everything but combined they both were able to catch you know the most things then Azul and I actually even after that did a complete read through so we were on Skype together and did a read through of the entire book it took like 8 hours to do um, and we caught a lot of things, too, so it just shows you that even if you hire the best editors you're you 're still going to potentially find some stuff, so it 's good to read through your book out loud because it 's different than when you read it with your eyes uh, and 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 just in your head so that that happened um and then it continued to go through iterations and changes. I think that 's another thing I was very open to that, and i wasn 't sort of discouraged when I got. Feedback or had to make changes, I was encouraged because it showed me and it proved to me that it was always getting better and better. A lot of people I know, I work with a lot of people who are writing books, they get discouraged when they get comments and feedback. And sometimes I leave feedback and they're like, oh, I don't want to have to go through this again. And I'm like, dude, I'm making your book better. You should be happy that it didn't go out there the way it was because now it's improving. So go make it better and be happy about that. And so I think that that's a mindset shift that a lot of authors have to have. Then in terms of the marketing, I don't know if you want me to get into that. I'm kind of just taking you through the timeline of everything that has happened here. Is that okay, Chandler?
0: Yep, that's perfect.
1: So then it was just, you know, marketing sort of started even as I was writing. Uh, on SPI TV, I showed an episode where I was actually brainstorming and doing that that dictation. So it even started then. That's, that was actually, I think, the first moment when I announced that a book was coming. So I actually did all of that sort of live, I guess, um, and recorded it, which was pretty cool, because then it it got people to know that, well, there was a book coming, and of course, it didn't come out until over a year later, but it planted that seed, and I think when you're just starting out, you are allowed to, and you should plant that seed that a book is coming and getting people excited about it, now not telling them every day that a book's coming and then not delivering, but having the content that I was posting and sharing on social media talk about my progress and how things were going. And, you know, it wasn't always positive if a lot of the negative things that were happening while I was writing, I talked about that and I was open about it. And again, that was just another touch point for my audience to know that I had a book that was coming. And I think, you know when you're vulnerable, when you're honest like that, even through the struggles, that actually gets you to build a stronger relationship with those who are following along and it gets them more invested in this project that you're working on that's causing you so much pain and I think they're going to be more interested in well how are they going to get through this and if you do or when you do, they're going to want to pick up the book that uh, that you've been talking about this whole time um, so again, like I said, throughout the writing process from start to finish, I did share bits and pieces of what I was doing uh, then It really started to get formalized after the first draft draft 1.5, like I talked about earlier, after that was done. That's when we decided to form a launch team. And I worked with a guy named Daniel Decker, who's done launch teams for other people like Lewis Howes and uh, others. Um, And this launch team was a team made up of my audience of about 500 people. Uh, it could have been more, but we did an application process. You don't need it to be too big, actually. There are very successful launch teams that launch with only 30 to 50 people. But the idea behind a launch team is you give them early access to your manuscript, they read through it, and they give you any feedback that you know they want to give you. But more so, it's just to get them involved so that when you launch, you're going to have immediately that number of people leaving you reviews, sharing it, and it's going to give you a big boost on day one when you launch because the worst thing that you could do is just be done with it launch and then just kind of wait and sit back and have nothing happen having this launch team behind you to promote it to endorse it to be ambassadors for the book to really get behind it for you just helps you get that really great kickstart once you start and then that kind of then new people find your book and they're going to see that there are already reviews there there's social proof their friends, of course, are going to find it as well, and things just start to happen from there. So the launch team was really great. That's also where I shared a lot of the behind-the-scenes. So I shared a little bit more than I would publicly with the with my regular audience on the book writing process. Also shared all the different iterations of book covers that were happening with people, too. The design part was a part that I, I didn't know how uh, much work there was. I think a lot of authors, including myself, um, get surprised at how much additional work beyond the text is required. Uh, we had to hire a designer not just for the cover. I'm not just talking about the cover either. I'm talking about a designer for the interior of the paperback book, which was launched on CreateSpace, so it's all self-published. But even still, you have to have a designer go in and figure out. Well, how is it going to look? Like this page here with little lines and like the paper airplane there, and you know, just all that layout has to be figured out. And so. You could do it yourself. You can use a tool like InDesign, but man, you gotta you, you gotta know that there are people out there who can do this much faster and probably better than you can. And you need to worry about the big, big, bigger things like the marketing and the relationship building, your launch team, and you know completing this book and making it great. There are designers out there who can help you, but you know everything from uh, what's going to be written at the top of each of your page, or what do the page numbers look like, and you know all that kind of stuff. And you know I was very lucky to get hooked up through a connection. With a designer who was really smart and knew how to do this and how to make it look great, you know the font sizes, the bold, the gray, the italics, the you know how do how do pictures get solved in there, and you know how do different sections get divided? Uh, it's it's all stuff that I didn't even think to consider until we were in this process. So that so that was something that I think um, going the next time if I do this the next time, which I will, uh, it's going to be a lot easier because I'll know what to expect. There's also the design of the Kindle book. That's something. Yes, even though it's electronic. It still has to be designed and formatted so that people on any Kindle device can read it. And it looks great still. And there's a lot of issues with that, too, that could potentially happen because it's code. And it could look great or it could look like a mess. And if it looks like a mess, even though it's good content, it could still give you bad reviews and give a bad experience to your reader. So make sure you find the right people who can help you design it in the right way so that when it gets put out there on a Kindle, whether it's read on a paper or a fire or a regular Kindle or whatever, um, it's going to look great. And so that's uh, another thing that I had to worry about too um, and then uh, then you know weeks leading up to it to the launch of the book, uh, I started to get a lot more detailed with the content that I was publishing on my blog and my podcast and on spi TV and it was all in and around the t- the topic of the book in and around the the idea of just the launch of the book and um, just again getting people really excited for it. then on launch day I Did a launch party, uh, which was like a three-hour live stream in in the morning. And the funny thing about that was I actually didn't sleep at all the night before because there were so many things that had to be done last minute. And I'll talk about those things in a sec. The launch party was great. Just got people involved, show, show people how excited I was. That did convert a lot of people into buyers who may not have known about it or always knew about it and just needed the call to action. So that was the moment at which they ended up purchasing it. And then I started to see the rankings rise because I sent an email out too, and that email... Uh, was very important because that is a list of about 150,000 people that I've collected over the last eight years who were waiting for this book to come out, who knew it was coming out. And this was like the, okay, green light, go get it. And I started to see the uh, rankings climb. Now, the funny thing was I made the mistake of not planning enough ahead of time in terms of giving myself enough space to have everything complete before launch. Because we launched the kindle book very last minute we launched with about 12 hours left before launch which it says on the website that you know it's going to be launched and up on the store in time but for us for whatever reason uh it wasn't ready and they said well 12 to 48 hours and it took us more than 12 hours so when the paperback book launched even when the party started the, the morning of the launch the kindle version wasn't wasn't available yet uh which sucked and so I was kind of disappointed about that. And that wasn't anything we could control. Well, It was something we could control, but we just didn't know. Um, so give yourself enough time to get everything finished beforehand. We were really um, cranking last minute and we did work over the holidays. And so maybe that had a little bit to do with it too. Um, but the Kindle book eventually came out about 12 hours after the launch of the paperback book, which was great. But then what happened was the paperback book and the Kindle book were on separate Amazon pages. And again, that's that's typically what happens when you first start out now. Typically, people will put their books up for sale and just not tell anybody about it just so that Amazon has enough time to actually merge those two pages together. My stuff was live and people knew about it when they were on two separate pages. And so that was kind of a hassle because then I had to tell people, well, if you want the paperback, you go here. If you want the Kindle, go here. And of course, most books, as you know, if you're on Amazon, are all combined on that one page. Um, But then the launch started going really well. I started to be very open with where the rankings were and how sales were going as they were happening again just more touch points for the book and getting people excited about it and um just you know again being very grateful and thanking people on video on instagram using social media to kind of support everything that was happening uh and it just became a really cool fun experience and it all happened in a flash i mean i can't even remember a lot of it because it just it just goes by really fast i mean you plan for a year year and a half from the writing process to the marketing, everything. it just, and all of a sudden, boom, it's out there. And it just, it goes by so fast. So um, the the cool thing about that was uh, it went really well. I was very happy. Again, the week after I found out I was on the the bestseller list for Wall Street Journal, which is great. And then a month after those two books came out, the Kindle version and the uh, paperback version, that's when I started to work on the Audible version. Again, some people work on that beforehand, but I worked on it after just because there wasn't enough, enough time. And that one, I went into a studio and did it professionally. And I, even though I have the equipment to do it here at home, I knew that if I went into a studio, I paid for that time that I would just, boom, focus on it and get it done. And I was able to get it all recorded in about two and a half days, which was great. And that actually more than the paperback and the Kindle book, now that the book has kind of been in the system for a while, the Audible version is the one that's actually generating the most income, more than the paperback and the Kindle version combined. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome to see kind of everything come together. And I think the other part of it, before I let you speak again, Chandler, sorry, I'm kind of hogging <laughs> the mic here, uh, is the way that I've been able to collect email addresses. I think that's a very important thing for those of you, especially who are self-publishing, who are thinking about creating courses or doing events or selling anything after the book. Um, you need to collect those email addresses. I know you've learned a lot from Chandler on how to do that. The way that I've done that is a little bit different because I wanted to do something that was different. I always try to do that. I'm always pushing the envelope and, and testing new things. I actually created a free course that goes along with the book. Now, it's not a course that's being sold. Like I said, it's free, but it's actually a walk-along course. and I, I call it that because as you read the book, it actually references parts of the course so that you could, for example, if there's a thing I'm teaching you in the book, you could watch the video on how I did that so you can get even more information. I reference worksheets and things that you could download and where do you download them? In the course, in that particular chapter. So the course is actually laid out chapter by chapter, just like the book, section by section, part by part. And the book references the course, the course references the book, and they work kind of in tandem with each other. And uh it's not a standalone course because you need the book as well. But the cool thing is I mentioned this course in the beginning, I think on the there's a big section right here at the very beginning of the book, the Will It Fly Companion Course. That's what we're calling it, a companion course. And then again, I mentioned it throughout the whole book. Uh, and then at the end again, it's actually converting at 33. percent So a third of the people who pick up this book actually end up giving me their email address which i know is quite high and it seems like that's the case because it's just again a natural part of the way that you read this book and it's also high value add it's not just a oh, download this pdf it's a whole course where you can get engaged you can actually engage with the community you get other things you get bonus interviews there you get more case studies that than that are here in the book and people are flocking every day to the companion course who pick this up. And so I'm collecting email addresses. And so when I come out with a new course, boom, I'm already going to have a number of people who I know who have read the book. So I can perfectly lead them into the course. The course is being used uh, or being placed on a platform called teachable. There's a lot of other great ones out there, but I I like teachable. I have a relationship with the CEO and teachable is great because it's, a way for you to create your course and it's just drag and drop super easy Um, and of course it requires a username and login for people so when they register for the course not only are they sending you email but they're registering with a username and login so when i come out with more courses down the road their username and login is already there they just have to one click buy and they're already registered and in there and i can kind of easily put people who read the book into that funnel once those courses go live and i'm actually in the middle of working on those courses right now uh which is really cool and the way that I actually got inspired to create this course in this way was actually by watching my, one of my favorite shows, Walking Dead, on AMC. Now, the funny thing is, Walking Dead, whenever a new episode comes out, right before a new episode comes out, you hear the voiceover guy say, oh, before you watch this episode, go to walkingdeadstorysync.com to get your behind-the-scenes information for this episode. So when you do that, when you go to walkingdeadstoriesync.com, as you're watching the episode on your computer, you see some really cool information come out about that scene or some behind you know some really cool facts or you know things that the actors have said during that time about that part um it's super cool and i wanted to do that with the book and so far people have been really enjoying it uh, i've actually gotten a number of people that interview view me about just how i've been able to create this course on top of the book because or, or not on top of but alongside it because it's converting like crazy um, and it has already proven to be useful because my goal was to get 300 reviews for the book a month after the launch. So I launched on February 2nd, and I wanted to get 300 reviews by March 1st. Well, it was three days before March 1st, and I only had 198. So I was 102 short with three days left. And then Azul and I were talking, and you know, I had built this great email list with, with the course. Um, I decided to email the people who were in the companion course and just simply ask them for a review. And we did that, and the morning I woke up after that email was sent, there we had already passed the 300 mark we had gained more than 100 reviews overnight um just from simply asking these people who i know who, who have read the book i know who has gotten a lot of value out, out of it um and so it worked out really great so the book is still uh, selling and it's it's doing well like i said the the audible version is sort of the, the latest one to come out but that's proving to be very very profitable and i'm in the middle of working on courses to sell for people who have read this book and it'll be a perfect lead in into that
0: whoo Love it, man! So much good stuff here, and so many follow-up questions. You cool. just kind of like pulled back the pulled back the kimono and <laughs> yeah. just unleashed it, right? So well, do you, a great interviewer
1: lets his interview, I mean, interview talk. So thank you for allowing me to talk. <laughs>
0: no problem. Man. Do, you, do you have any uh, idea on how many books that you moved in week one to be able to hit New York, or sorry, to be able to hit uh, Wall Street Journalist? Uh,
1: yeah. So I actually ended up moving about twelve thousand paperback, and 5,000 eBooks and the list that I got on was the eBooks list. So I didn't even make it onto any list from the 12,000 paperback books that I sold, but the 5,000 was enough to get in the middle. I think it was number five in the wall street journal bestseller for business for, for eBooks, for all Uh, eBooks, which, which is cool.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. And I know that wall street journal is mostly a hardback list. So it's like hardback Books right. like hard, hard books. But um, the interesting thing is, and this is kind of the interesting thing that you chatted on at the begin at the top of the interview is that twelve thousand books uh is is almost always good enough to get you on the New York Times bestseller list. But if you have a publisher, right? So it is interesting, kind of how how that works from a hard copy standpoint. Like I've heard that ten thousand is kind of the magic number, and so it is interesting how we're still at this interesting dichotomy it
1: it is interesting but then it's like well how important is the new york times for you right now (laughs) that's that's one thing and also i know that through research you know the wall street journal is uh, a little uh, wall street journal and usa today and i didn't make usa today um are kind of the more honest lists and i say Mm -hmm. that because the New Mm -hmm. new york times there's some politics involved there's a lot of people who don't even sell a few thousand books or only sell a few thousand books but get at the top of the list where there are others who sell way more, but might be, you know, just there's relationships involved. If you know people, I mean, it's just, it doesn't seem like the legit way, even though it is sort of the one that most people look at now. You get on there. There's a lot of great things that can happen. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just an interesting thing that I think. A lot of authors, it gets in their head that that's the thing that they want to do, and I don't think yeah. that's the right goal. I think that should be a byproduct of a great book and the amount of people that you're actually helping out and the kind of content that you have to share. I don't think New York Times should be the goal. I, th- I think it should be a byproduct of other things that you're doing.
0: 100% agree with that. Now, it was really cool to kind of see Daniel Decker is a great guy and, and just love that you work with him. He's super cool. And then it was also cool to see uh, you working with Zul because – I feel like we maybe have talked about this, Pat, but Azul was actually part of like the very, very first self-publishing school. So like we helped him put out his book through self-publishing school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he actually helped us out with our book book launch or yeah. that's like one of my recent books. So it's, that was super cool. Kind of, you know, as they say, like the teacher becomes the student or sorry, <laughs> the student becomes the teacher. The way around. It becomes a teacher. It's it kind of goes, yeah, both yeah, ways. student becomes the teacher and it's, you know, it's, it's just, yeah azuls a great guy and so that that seems to be super helpful what what did you see kind of zooming out like what were the top 3 movers of books on this most recent launch as far as you can tell
1: uh, my email list for sure uh, secondly was getting on to other people's podcasts that was another thing that I didn't talk about in the marketing but my team and I and and mostly me we did a huge reach out to all the people that I had relationships with uh, or most people I missed a few actually which which was sad but there's just so many I did about 60 interviews within you know a good three-month time span but I had asked and requested that those get posted within about a week time span, so either during pre-launch or, or post-launch, you know, within those couple weeks. So that worked out really well because, you know, I'm getting an endorsement from somebody else who has that trusted relationship with that audience already. And, you know, on a podcast, I feel more comfortable. I had opportunities to do blog posts, but the blog posts were taking a lot longer than I wanted to. And plus, I felt I'm more natural and people can build a better relationship with me and hear my real story and be more inclined to buy the book if they were actually to to hear me so that's why we focused on that the way I did that and actually about 98% of the people we asked said yes which is really cool I was very thankful for that and I think there's a few reasons for that number one these people I had a relationship with I've been helping them out you know I'm, I'm providing value to them all the time as much as I can for some of them I promoted their own things so naturally they're going to want to help out you know the law of reciprocity takes um, takes in place another thing I did was I actually experimented with half of the people I reached out with a video, a personalized video that I just put on an unlisted uh, or actually a private YouTube link for them. And I sent them a video. It only took like a minute and a half to film. You know, I'm just on my phone filming, nothing super formal, just very casual. Um, You know, Hey, Amy Porterfield, Pat here, just hope you're doing well. You know, it's always personalized. It's not, it doesn't sound robotic and uh, sent that to them. And that always got a quicker response compared to the email ones. The, the the video ones, I think if you know this, if somebody says, hey, I took a minute and a half to send you a video, you're gonna feel bad if you don't watch it, right? Whereas mm-hmm, we get emails mm-hmm. all the time that just are texts, but if somebody sends you a video, you're gonna be more inclined to watch it if you have the time, and a minute and a half isn't very much time at all, so that's a good strategy. If you're reaching out to other influencers, other friends, You know, shoot, a, shoot them a quick video. You know, This is a big thing that you're coming out with, so you might as well take a little bit of extra time to. Ask the right way. Um, that's not to say that the people who I sent emails to didn't answer. Um, some I had to follow up with, though. That's, that's the case. The other ones where I di- did send a video, like m- all of them responded almost immediately, which was kind of cool. Uh, yeah. So that, that reach out helped. And, you know, the podcast and that exposure from other people, that, that was um, probably number two. Email us was number one. Uh, and then number three, uh, promoting it and mentioning it on my normal platforms like my podcast and blog posts, and not being afraid to ask for the sale. I think that's another thing that a lot of authors struggle with is, you know, they go, like, "Oh, here's this book. I worked so hard on it, um, but you know, I'm not going to mention it again. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, upset you, or I don't want you to think I'm I'm aggressive." Uh, whereas, you know, you spend a lot of time on this thing. You need to get people to know about it, and you have the right to ask people. To buy it and to be somewhat firm with it. If this is content that you actually believe in, I mean, that's your job, it's your duty to do that. Or else, people who are there who might buy it but don't because you're just not confident in it, you're not helping them. And so th- those are um, those are just some tips uh, and mindset hacks that I have for myself that I'm passing on to you too to help really help you with the uh, messaging and uh, the kind of it's your baby, so you got to put it out there. You 100%, know, get people, yeah. get people to know that you're confident in it.
0: Those are some great tips. Now, what would you say were the biggest mistakes and lessons learned from this launch? Uh,
1: Timing by far was the biggest one. Uh, I didn't quite, well, first of all, just I should have hooked up with Azul earlier. Um, I, for about three months, was just struggling, not writing very much, many times taking a break and just not being very motivated. If I had hooked up with them earlier, I probably would have saved a lot of time, which would have helped with the other stuff that happened later that was a time crunch. So I think they all kind of relate, but getting somebody to help me or just understanding how I was motivated to write this book better. Part of what Azul did was also help me discover the tools that I could use to actually write better and be kind of, more on the state of flow um i had switched from writing on scrivener which is what i originally started on so i took all those post-it notes and all those outlines and ideas and transcriptions and i put them all in order in scrivener which is great but then as i was going through into draft 1.5 and draft number two it was a struggle because i i saw just in there in the outline on the left hand side how many things i had to go through and it just was completely overwhelming and it just always made it seem like the goal was never going to happen you know So, I really had to break it down and focus on, well, what is that next one that I'm going to finish today? You know, similar to this experiment, uh, my buddy Jay Papstan, who wrote The One Thing, told me about it. It's actually in his book, too, I think. How, you know, Chandler, if I were to offer you $100 today or $200 tomorrow, which one would you take?
0: $200
1: tomorrow. Tomorrow. You'll wait a day. It's fine. It's obvious. But if I were to offer you the same thing, $100 today or $200 next year, same exact outcome 99% of the people will say i want to get it now you know i'll take the 100 now cuz i don't want to wait a whole year and that's what it feels like with our goals like we it's the same outcome it's the same steps but because they're so far away it just seems like impossible and so we make these mistakes and we work on things that we're not supposed to so taking those big goals which is the book breaking it down, which is the chapters or the sections even within those chapters and working on it one at a time and completing, knowing which ones you're going to complete on which day and having somebody else on the other end just being like, hey, how are you doing on that chapter that you said you were going to work on that's in your calendar? That's again what really helped me move forward and we ended up moving from Scrivener uh, to, to wrap my head around all this into a Google Doc, Google Docs. So we had a Google Doc folder which had different documents and each of those documents was a chapter. So when I opened up a chapter, that's all i saw i didn't I didn't get overwhelmed by everything else I had to do um, so that's that's another tip uh, for me, what worked out really well um, and a mistake was just not doing that sooner realizing that. The other mistake was um, not getting all the file formats and everything you know the editing and all that done ahead of time ahead of the deadline. Um, we only gave ourselves like a month to after the script or the manuscript was finished to actually get it completely designed and to get it um you know formatted correctly and uploaded and we were literally down to the last hours to do that so I would have given I would have liked to give myself an extra uh week with the timing but you know when you're going through it for the first time um especially because I wasn't a part of a community where I could get access to other people who were self publishing I didn't I didn't know um and that's kind of how I learn sometimes I just do and figure it out and then report back for people later
0: yeah love it Th- this has been great yeah. pep one final question for you um, would be sure. what would be your parting tip or piece of advice for someone thinking about writing and publishing their first book.
1: I would get validation for that topic first. That by far the fact that 10 people paid me money and I'm not saying you have to go and get people to pay you. I think there are other other ways to validate as an author to know whether or not a topic's going to work out for you, but it just was so motivating that and and whenever I got to those moments of struggle Beyond Azul helping me after I finally found him, uh, just knowing that there are people who needed this information and who were willing to pay for it—you know—that that that always kept me moving forward, no matter uh, at what pace I was going. You know, so that that was a big thing. The other ways that you could validate are, for example maybe taking this big grand idea of a book that you have and publishing it as a guest post on another person's site. So even if you don't have an audience already, you could still gauge what the reaction is like. Maybe it's a topic that's actually gonna get a lot of people to discuss and start talking, and that could actually be the kickstart for what could then become the book. If you write that guest post and there are no comments, maybe even negative comments about it, that'll tell you that maybe that's not a topic that you should write a book about. If you have an audience already, you can actually take... And sort of shrink down all the content that you have that's going to be in this book into maybe a five, 10 page PDF file that becomes a lead magnet. So, can you collect email addresses just with this particular topic? If you can't collect any email addresses with a shortened version, well, then what's going to make you think you're going to make sales with a longer version? So, again, just kind of validating in a small scale first before you take it to a larger level. This is what Michael Hyatt did. His book, Living Forward, was actually a completely free guide that he gave away on his website that he then collected 200,000 email subscribers with. Well, people loved that lead magnet and they wanted more information like it, which is why he knew that, well, instead of writing something completely new, why don't I just take this thing that I scratched the surface on and go deeper into it? And that worked out and that became what is now a best-selling book, uh, Living Forward. So those are some things you could do also to help you understand if this thing that you're thinking about writing is actually worth writing.
0: That's great. Pat, this has been fantastic. Thanks for sharing all the tips, all the experiences, the mistakes, the everything behind this book. Cause I think it's really, it'd be really cool for people to see the behind the scenes. You know, obviously people see the book launch and now they're able to see the behind the scenes on how it happened. So thanks for coming on. Uh, Before we head out, where can people go to find out more about you, your book, and what you're up to?
1: Sure. Thank you. You can find me at smartpassiveincome.com. If you want to check out the book, uh, you can go to willitflybook.com. Uh, and at Pat Flynn on most social media platforms, except for Snapchat. That's Pat Flynn SPI. Somebody took my handle there. So I'm actually going to snap this right now. (laughs) Look at that beautiful smile. I'm going to snap that right now for you.
0: Awesome, Pat. Thanks so much, brother.
1: All right. Take care. Thanks, guys. Good luck.